want to go to there. Snipe! Saw the window and I just couldn't resist it. doesn't like coffee ice cream. Hi, for those of you who just tuned in, everyone here is a crazy person. Are we having fun yet? <laughs> yes, yes. Thirty Helens agree. Never mind. Maybe the dingo ate your baby. It's a cunning plan, actually. Would you believe it? And you beautiful tropical fish. Don't mention the war. Clear eyes, but hearts get Hello and welcome to the Televerse, Sound On Sight's TV podcast. This is Kate Kalzik and I'm joined as ever by Sean Coletti. Sean, how's it going? It's, the summer is very busy, surprisingly. Um, but lots of exciting things going on, including the upcoming conclusion of the World Cup. Ah, yes. Do you have a team that you are supporting? Um, I have no rooting interest in Argentina versus the Netherlands. I'd like Brazil to beat Germany, though. Okay. In my circle, there's a strong pro-South American lobby, but they also don't like Brazil. So, <laughs> you know, I, I we'll see. how. I think usually the rooting will at this point be down to who's playing well and who deserves it, you know. Mm -hmm. So we'll see. But uh, that has been a fun uh, – it, it's sort of sad that it's coming to a close, but, you know, that's how these things work. Yeah. I, I would be hoping for a, a Europe versus South America final. Okay. I'm sure Twitter will explode once again when, when that is reaching its conclusion. Wimbledon finished up. Did, and Federer just could not get another one, which is unfortunate, because I like that guy. He's just a freak of nature in terms of athleticism, like one of those rare people who can play at that level so late in their careers. But Djokovic has been great for a long time, so he definitely deserved it. See, these are... I I am not familiar with these names. I'm familiar with Federer. I've heard of him before. Uh, yeah. Djokovic, he's good. We like we like Djokovic. He's very good. Yeah. Okay, well, there we go. I see. I'm learning a and new he name. More or less has Federer's number, so I guess it probably was expected. This week we talked with uh, Jennifer Armstrong, uh, the critic and author, about uh, Thirty Rock, which was a lot of fun. So that'll be coming at the end of the podcast. Glad to uh, to spend a little bit more time with Liz Lemon this week. Yeah, I mean, I imagine most listeners will have seen 30 Rock, so they'll probably be tuning in. But uh, one of the, the better sitcoms that has ended recently. Yeah, certainly. And it was just fun to revisit some of that. Uh, we spoke with a bunch of you guys this week. Carl uh, wanted to know if we would uh, tweet about Enlisted to Yahoo Screen. So, Carl, mission accomplished. And I don't know if that'll do anything, but I'm happy to send a tweet for a show that I so enjoy. There was actually an article written up, uh, I, I want to say it was The Wrap, about the the campaign uh, spearheaded by Carl and some other enlisted fans on Twitter to, to you know, push for Yahoo screen to, to pick up enlisted, much like they picked up community. I don't, I've, I, I don't have a good feeling about, I mean, I would love that to ha happen, but I just, I, I'm not very optimistic. I don't know. What do you think? Uh, I'm never optimistic when it comes to this. So I wouldn't have even thought that community would have been picked up, even though it has such an established fan base. So that, that usually puts me in a good position to where if something good actually does happen out of all the bureaucracy, then I'm excited rather than disappointed when it doesn't. Well, that's one way to think about it. Um, <laughs> we talked a little bit last week about iTunes reviews and how if if you give us an international iTunes review, 
we're we're just basically not going to know for quite a while. Uh, but Jason wrote in and let us know that if you go to mypodcastreviews.com and sign up uh, for the free account, they'll email you your last 30 iTunes review every month, including international reviews. So that's how you can keep track of that. So thank you very much, Jason. I know somebody else mentioned that on Twitter, but they couldn't remember the name. So if anyone, if there's any other podcasters out there in a similar bind, uh, mypodcastreviews.com, apparently. So that is handy to know. Uh, James just finished off all of Friday Night Lights, and he absolutely loved it. He said the finale was perfect. I've seen the last 10 minutes maybe four times, and it gets me every time. And that finale is pretty much perfect. Uh, apparently, James' friends ha- like put Friday Night Lights and One Tree Hill. Like, those are their two shows, and they feel like they're equivalent. And it's, this is now boggling James's mind as much as it did mine. How would you compare Friday Night Lights and One Tree Hill? What? Uh, Friday Night Lights is like one of the best dozen shows that has ever existed. And One Tree Hill... Is not. Uh, it's not. That's the polite way of saying it. Not. I mean, like, I know it's it's one of those shows that you watch when you're a little bit younger, and it's fine because it's soapy and enjoyable, and then your tastes mature, I think. Well, uh, James, at least they've watched Friday Night Lights. You know, that they've got one up on several of my friends who just, like, I don't like football. It's like, well, but it's not about football. Or I do, I don't know, I heard it's not about football, and I like football. But there is football. uh, (laughs) I can't seem to win them over. So at least, you know, keep that in mind. At least there's that. Uh, I got to talk Buffy this week with Rowan, Caroline, LaToya, Sonia, Dennis, and Andrew. And any week I get to talk about Buffy on Twitter is a good week as far as I'm concerned. Uh, there's some Buffy versus Angel discussion. Uh, now, have you seen... What's your familiarity with those two series? Uh, I have almost no familiarity with Angel. I have a little bit with Buffy. Not as much as I would like, especially because I podcast with one of its biggest fans. Um, but I've seen quite a bit of Buffy. I always am a big proponent for Angel as well. I feel like it's one of the more overlooked of the various spinoffs, or especially of the, the WB shows, You know, shows of that of that era. I really am a big fan of that show, but if people are interested, they can go listen to our DVD shelves about those with David Bax, who, of course, was on the podcast last week. But um, but that was lovely, so thank you all, if any of you are listening. That was a wonderful chat to have. Mario uh, enjoyed my attempts to pronounce uh, Gran Guignol, and apparently <laughs> so did Ricky. So I'm told that is the correct pronunciation. Thank you, Mario. Much appreciated. I uh, talked the Tristan Court a bit with Gaines, and uh, they want to know if I've read Alex Ross's The Rest is Noise, and I have not, but I will add that to the list. Are there any good music uh, books that you that you enjoy? Because I know you're you're a different kind of music fan than I am, but you are very much a music fan. What are your favorite music books? Uh, nonfiction or fiction? Eh. <laughs> They're probably uh, combined. Ian Christie wrote probably the best guide for heavy metal um, that kind of chronicles it from Black Sabbath to, I want to say the book was published in the mid-90s, and that's probably the best book that I've read about the genre. Um, I don't want to like be really insulting, but one of the, the Rolling Stones uh, writers who covers a lot of the metal, or used to, I think, um, just doesn't really understand what the genre is about, so I get really frustrated reading some of that. In terms of fiction, I don't know. I'd have to think about that and get back to you. Okay, so any listeners who are curious, hit them up on Twitter. Poke them. Say, Sean, what's the good musical fiction? Um, 
I have a, a stumper here. I've get that's one stumper. I've got another one for you. I did not know how to respond. Beth wants to know: Would you recommend watching Bob's Burgers or Adventure Time first? Uh, I said yes. <laughs> that's, a, that's an easy way out. Yeah. Um, uh, probably Adventure Time. Ah, man, that sucks. Okay, yeah, because that came out first chronologically, right? Yep. Um, it's it feels like it's quicker to get through because they're shorter episodes and ultimately, at least from what I've seen and I have been watching a little bit since uh, or in the past few weeks, um, its highs are probably more impressive than Bob's Burgers highs. That said, season three of Bob's Burgers, I think is one of the all time great seasons of sitcoms. So I, I got to give a shout out to that. Yeah. You're going to have fun either way. They're both yeah. great, and they're both, you know, they're just wonderful to spend time with and to spend time in those worlds. So either way, you're fine. I was just being mean to Sean here. Uh, <sighs> Josh wants uh, Bob, speaking of Osbergers, he, he wants Bob to talk to a talking can of veggies that is voiced by uh, Chris Maloney, and he's right. How has that not happened? That would be delightful. Also talked a little bit about uh, that with uh, Les. Uh, talk, so you think you can dance with Whitney and uh, – and and tap and some of these other things. Doctor dance sequences with Ivy, who uh, recommended the road skating scene for, of course, from Shall We Dance? Such a wonderful dance sequence. Kyle chimed in with uh, the dance sequence from Big. Uh, do you have any favorite cinematic dance sequences? Oh, another one that's going to stump me. I watched the the Gene Kelly one that you sent me, and that was fantastic. Uh, off the top of my head, I don't. That that was the uh, It's Always Fair Weather, right? The roller skating one. Yeah. I don't think I know any off the top of my head. You don't know dance sequence? Oh my goodness! I, I sorry. Like... <laughs> I spent the weekend thinking about Fred and Ginger movies, so you know it's on the okay. mind. <laughs> it's not one of those like areas in my mind palace where I like store information. Like this is a list of the dance sequences that I've seen today. Just today, I introduced a student to uh, Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers, um, uh, Gene Kelly, the Nicholas Brothers, Eleanor Powell. Uh, I I showed her the those roller skating scenes, but also um, the the Donald O'Connor uh, make him laugh sequence from Singing in the Rain. It's just been a wonderful day of dance, cinematic dance sequences. But we'll talk about City Thinking Nats a little bit later. Uh, Kyle chimed in to let us know that uh, though Comcast only carries Sundance in standard def, you can actually watch their shows like Les Revenant in high def on demand. The next day. So that's handy to know. Thank you, Kyle. Also talk to the Revenant with Maeve and talk to the bridge with Todd and Ryan. But we'll get to the bridge a little bit later in the podcast. Uh, for now, we should probably mention that we have our best episodes of the year so far up at Sound On Sight, which was a a, a, a group effort there. Uh, but I, I think it's pretty good. Yeah, I have seen most of the episodes. There's a couple that y'all had to vote on that I couldn't chime in on because I haven't seen. But for the most part, I've seen like 95% of them. And I think they're all really great. I think we did good. Uh, I think it's a very, very faithful representation of the best stuff that's aired on TV so far this year. Yeah, there, there are a couple that maybe I would question. And there's probably an omission that I would have liked to have seen. But otherwise, it, this is a great collection of episodes you know something that includes the Hannibal finale like come on so good come on. <laughs> we're of course we're on board and yes there's a list that we're involved with so we talked about Hannibal come on guys 
should, you should expect that by now. But you can find that up at soundoutside.org, and uh, and we had fun putting that together. I look forward to seeing what other people's uh, favorite picks were for the, the, the episodes that stand out this year so far. We had 20. We had over 20 already so i don't know what we're gonna do when we get to the end of the year but we might have to get a little harsher with our cuts but i should cut myself off because we got to get going to our week in tv um so let's take a break and come back with our week in comedy and reality in reality and comedy we're going to talk a little bit about rising star which had its final auditions then uh, so you think you can dance and their top 20 performances then wilfred loyalty and adventure time something big but uh Shaw, let's kick things off with rising star i i did not watch this one uh what are your thoughts on the series right now how are they doing not great and it has to do with i guess talent scouting because the quality of the auditions have not been good like out of i think it's 32 people that they have shown us two of them i've liked and even then uh yeah i sent you some videos of x factors first season and some of the talent that was on there and not that that was like amazing or anything but there was more variety in the performers and overall the quality certainly was better so i'm i'm ready for these auditions to be done and for us to move on to kind of the next step of the show to see what it looks like well, and that's always a big shift for any reality competition show. When you start to see what these people are like and how they improve, theoretically, hopefully they improve over time, and um, you know who shows himself to have, you know, because that's the thing with auditions that it's important for those who have no experience auditioning to remember. Auditions are a day, and so much of the time, uh, you do you do so much work to get ready. You you do as much preparation as you can. But you also have to have a good day and just there's a lot of little things that can go wrong or can go right. So seeing how these performers now progress to the next stages and deal with the stress and the uh, expectation that will come with that should be telling and should hopefully bring out some some good uh, some good quality television moments. At the very least, we've learned that Kesha has a cat cult. So that's a thing. That's a thing. I, I would not have guessed. Any other <laughs> thoughts on Rising Star? Nah, let's move on. Let's dance it up. Uh, so you think you can dance at their top 20. And they just, there was no way their opening dance sequence was going to make me, uh, it was really going to impress me. Because last year, I don't know if you had a chance to watch it. I did. They did an awesome, wonderful dance sequence that was fun and in incorporated a bunch of different styles that they did live. And they, they incorporated the judges. Basically, I think that was their, it's season 10. 
and we've barely gotten renewed the last couple of years. So this might be our last one. So let's go big. <laughs> and they did. And this year, so they, they had that, to, you know, that immediately that comparison was going to be drawn. I thought it was fine, but, you know, wasn't wasn't too great. There were a couple dance dance routines that really stood out to me. But on the whole, I'm looking forward to what's going to happen once we really get into things next week. What, what did you think of both the top 20 number and then the, the episode in general? Uh, the top 20 number was fine. I hadn't seen Pudding on the Ritz before that. I watched it after, so that probably made me enjoy this season's a little bit more than I would have otherwise. Because, yeah, it doesn't stack up by comparison. <laughs> um, I guess because, like they mentioned, like the judges mentioned, that uh, technique only matters so much at this point that uh, I was being harsher on the performances because I know that all these people are of a very high quality. And so, like, I was looking to connect... I was kind of sitting there, getting like more than halfway into the episode, not really getting excited about anything. And then uh, Rudy and Carly went, and I really liked that. And then shortly afterwards, uh, Ricky and Jessica were on, and that was fantastic. And by the end of it, there were a couple late performances that I just loved. Yeah, that Sonia Taya routine with the uh, the the thing that really stood out to me. I loved the music for that. I always appreciate. They rarely use songs that don't have lyrics and so when they do it always stands out and i usually like those ones because they feel a little less on the nose uh but i thought that i thought the routine was gorgeous and the holds you know the the control and stability of it again when you have constant motion after a while it can look the same especially with so many different contemporary routines this week um but and, and so to have stillness in that routine i thought was very effective my vote for if this person gets voted off next week, I'm going to rebel, uh, goes to Emilio from the, the hip hop routine, whose tricks were just amazing. Oh, oh, I thought you meant that you wanted him to get kicked off. I no, was... no, 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 no. Oh, okay. He, I he was... has to stay. Yeah, sorry, listeners won't know this. The reason that Sean stopped is I had an, an agape look on my face. <laughs> I was dumbstruck. Uh, yeah, because that was awesome. That was great. That was a really fun routine. Yeah, he he was definitely the standout one of the two, um, which is why he gets the vote, because I thought in, in the Jessica and, and Ricky one that they were both very good. But yeah, Emilio has to stay. Yeah, I also really liked the, you said uh, Rudy and Carly. Was that the one, um, I'm having trouble remembering the various routines, but the, the brunette girl, um... That there was a lot of synchronization. Oh, actually, no, I think I'm thinking of Stanley. I was impressed with Stanley. And, yes. Uh, see, this is the trouble. We barely know these these people because uh, because they had to blow through the audition process so quickly. I'm glad you liked the Carly and and Rudy one. I was less connected with that one, uh, but I know a lot of people enjoy those too. I liked um, the brunette. I want to say they did. Uh, they think that was the one where they sort of held each other's heads and sort of rolled. I thought that was a really oh, neat yeah. move. Um, and then, like you said, just having that hip-hop number, or, or some people are calling it Broadway, lyrical hip-hop, whatever, to have that one in the middle. And just, there's no story. It's just fun. It's just, you know, just hanging out and having fun. And there's no epic love that we need to, you know, watch be tragic. That I thought was that was really num yeah, really fun. The I was disappointed with some of the ballroom, got to say. I expected better from the ballroom people. 
I was disappointed with the tappers and the ballerinas as well. Not so much the technique with the ballerinas, but the song choice, I guess. The yeah, that's that's a really I mean, obviously Swan Lake. How do you are you a Swan Lake? Uh, but yeah, they were not in sync as well as they should have been. And I, but I do very much appreciate getting to see ballet so i enjoyed that number just because i got to see ballet and so you think you can dance and they, i thought they individually they did pretty good but just together you know it's it's a it's a tricky thing to do and that's one of those things that so you think you can dance and tap was the same way where i i really enjoyed tap i was talking about it in, earlier in the show i i love an, a good tap number um but their physicality didn't match the song uh we were commenting on, on Twitter that uh, they, were, they were looking at their feet as they ran up and down the stairs. If you're doing that that kind of a routine and you have that kind of music that they chose, you need to be, you know, straight back. You need to be cool. You need to be relaxed. You can't be leaning forward and hitting really, you know, you need to be too cool for school. And, and they, they really weren't. Uh, so, yeah, there were there were elements that were kind of off. They're, they're getting into the swing of things. It is rare for two dancers to connect so quickly as uh, – as Ricky and Jessica did in their number uh, and really have that connection and be so strong together. I thought the, the Stanley and his partner and their doubling also was a really rare thing in the first week. So hopefully as they get their actual partners that they'll have moving forward and start building those relationships, we'll see more things come out of them. But uh, yeah, I'm glad that you enjoyed some of it at least. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm on board. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's move on to the comedies. And first is Wilfred Loyalty. What, how did this one relate to you? To as compared to the the very um, uh, serialized elements that we saw in the first two episodes. It was good. It was a good balance of kind of what Wil Wilfred seems to be doing in this season, or what it probably will be. Which is we still got a little bit of that serialization with um, kind of looking into Ryan's dad's past and the the assistant, I guess, that worked with him, but most of it was focused on uh, Kristen, and usually those episodes are strong. The actress, I think, is very good, and I just thought, you know, we've been talking about um, ideas of family with regards to television recently, and this was a good example of kind of how your kind of obligation to family, your natural obligation, gets tested in many ways, and I thought that they did a good job of taking Ryan through the appropriate motions where it's, well, do I believe her? Do I really think that she um, is capable of doing what she needs to do for her child? Uh, and then it eventually came down to him really standing by her side. So uh, it was good on top of a scene like Wilfred walking into a staged uh, intervention. And then he just gets <laughs> uh taken down by all of the stuffed animals, including one of animal, which was ridiculous and fun. Just to watch Elijah Wood kind of just stand there and look in awe. <laughs> that was that was a fun moment. Uh, but my trouble with this episode is that I wasn't laughing. I don't think I laughed once. Maybe like a chuckle, and I need to laugh <laughs> with <laughs> the show. I don't, I don't think I ever laugh in Wilfred. I mostly just cringe, and that's that's my relationship with it. And it's why kind of, I like it. I don't really think of it as a comedy. It's just, it's sometimes disgusting. And I don't know, that works for me. Yeah. The, I, I wanted to, and, and I, I did enjoy certain parts of it. And certainly that, that, uh, relationship with the sister is a big part of that, but it's Ryan's just a dick throughout the episode. He's just, 
I get I, I've reached sort of my threshold of and we'll talk about my grim grimness threshold when we get to the bridge but I've reached my threshold of self-involvement in my main characters and this is part of why I had I had trouble with transparent and some of the other um uh much ballyhooed I want to say it was Amazon or Netflix maybe pilots this this year uh just because I only have so much uh willingness to go with painfully self-involved characters and I kind of get my whole quote of that with girls uh, <laughs> and so on Wilfred he's being a terrible unsupportive brother through this whole thing it all he turns every single thing about his sister's problems onto himself until the very last moment and then fortunately for him he he's just received a bunch of money so he can just solve his problems with money he can just like you know Deus Ex Machina away, Nestor Carbonell, and I just I don't have it. That's not interesting to me. It's like, oh, there's a problem. You're gonna have to deal with this tricky situation. Oh no, you don't. You just you know, conveniently, your father died and left you a crap ton of money, and now I don't know why that he needs to have died to leave you that money. But we have made sure we've ensured that uh, that this won't change any part of the show because now you're gonna give all that money. Sinister Carbon. I just, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm having trouble. <laughs> Though I will say the preview for next week looked much more promising, and I'm hopeful that I will actually laugh along with Wilford next week. We'll see. We'll, we'll see. Uh, I'm, I'm fine if all of this is just going to make you hate Wilford by the end of it. Hey, you know what? That, that, that is the least I can do. Watch, watch Wilford and hope that it gets better and hope that I like it. Um, let's move on to Adventure Time. Something big. And uh, we got the ancient tandem, ancient psychic tandem war elephant back, who is just such a fun creation. It really is. That moment after all of the action has gone down and uh, and Finn is just up there, he's making guacamole, right? Something, yeah. And then just drops it. It's like, oh, no. And then the elephant grabs it and brings it back up. It's just like little subtle things that the show sometimes does that really get me to laugh. But yeah, that's a... Uh, a weird character, man. <laughs> well, that's the kind of thing the show does so well. Uh, I've been enjoying this past week. I, I've turned my sister and my brother-in-law into Adventure Time fans. And my sister is particularly fond of Lumpy Space Princess. So that is like a particular achievement. I just, I should say achievement. It just worked out that we both love LSP. Um, so a character like Ancient Psychic Tandem War Elephant is just delightful and like that mo that moment like you said we just drops the guac he's like thanks man thanks dude or whatever it was you know any other show would not have remembered that and so i like that finn notes that he's dropped it and is disappointed and then gets to be you know uh the the, the witch of the what's her face was um in the tree monster again I, I those might be known entities i am not familiar with them any thoughts on those uh, I'm not familiar with either of them uh, as well, so but uh, they worked in this episode. I thought it reminded me a lot of because I just recently rewatched uh, a bunch of Samurai Jack, uh, a fight that Jack has with a giant somewhat similar to that. But um, <laughs> just uh, the differences between the giant's uh, language um, and the way that he speaks versus the characters that we have in Adventure Time—it's always good fun. Yeah, and all the uh, the candy people come back to life except for root beer guy. We still oh, a puddle. Oh, root beer guy. Oh man, root beer guy, we'll miss you. R.I.P. 
R.I.P. Okay, so what wins the week in comedy and reality for you then? Uh, Ricky and Jessica's dance routine. So you're giving it to So You Think You Can Dance? I'm giving it to Ricky and Jessica's dance routine. <laughs> I was going to say that was this was going to be a tricky one for me this week because you have to give it to So You Think You Can Dance, which is the good with the bad. Um, there wasn't anybody particularly bad you know, this week. It was just uh, only a few that really stood out. Um, but yeah, I think I'll give it to Adventure Time. I I, th I feel like there's better coming for us on So You Think You Can Dance. Maybe not very many better than that Ricky and Jessica routine, but I think like the average will. I I have hopes that it will raise. So I'm gonna give it to to Adventure Time this week. Um, so now we'll take a break and come back with Sean's network report card, looking at NBC. <laughs> It's time for the final installment of our Sean's Network Report Card series. This week we're looking at NBC. And before we get into the new series of this past uh, this past year, Sean, how is NBC doing in general for you with its returning series? Um, not as well as some other networks. There are three shows that I absolutely keep up with regularly and two that I try to as much as possible. And the three are... Community, which is now gone, Parks and Rec, which will be ending in this next season, and Hannibal, of course, and Hannibal is more or less the best show on TV, so at least NBC has that going for it. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I also try and watch Parenthood and The Voice as much as possible, but then Parenthood is also ending this next season. So, And uh, The Voice is always, you never know what you're going to get with each season, yeah. so... Yeah, that's 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 a precarious situation. Uh, of course, I I love Hannibal, as everyone listening, I'm sure knows at this point. Uh, and I I'm sort of I go back and forth with Parks and Rec because I want to love the show, but again, it's a thing where I used to laugh every week with Parks and Rec, and now I occasionally gently chuckle and then remember how I used to laugh, and then that makes me sad. <laughs> so I like the show, but I. I I, I would love for it to recapture its former glory. I'm hopeful that, that we may get that next year with this time jump forward. And Parenthood, anybody who's been listening will know uh, how, I, how the struggles of this past season of Parenthood. But again, that's another one that I, I would love to see recapture its former glory in this coming season. Um, yeah, and I'm less of a community fan than others, but I will follow it over to Yahoo. So uh, I look forward to seeing. And you also watch Grimm. And I also watch Grimm. Well, I, there there are several shows on these other networks that I, I follow each week. I reviewed Grimm week to week this last year on uh, for, for Sound on Sight. I will not be doing that in the fall. I, again, we're we're cutting back on twenty two episode reviews in general, just because after a while you run out of things to say. Because almost always the same shows have the same you know same weaknesses and strengths. So uh, I look forward to checking in with it here and there as you know as they get. They're stronger episodes uh, or more interesting episodes. But uh, that's a show that I just always appreciate because it does things that other genre shows of its ilk do not. So it cares about its female characters. It, it builds up their relationships. It builds up the the families of each of its characters. Everybody feels explored and respected, uh, which is certainly not the case most of the time. Um, so there's a lot that Grimm does that I actually really appreciate, uh, though I... Don't think it's in the anywhere near the top tier 
It's 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 one of those like satisfying like you can you can marathon it over the weekend while you're folding laundry. It's one of those shows. And and sometimes there are shows like that that uh, that I want to really like, but then they will have a character that drives me nuts, or they'll have some underlying misogyny or just other problems that I can't I can't enjoy the show anymore. And I'm very grateful to to actually have the undercurrents in Grimm be things that I really respect. So uh, so that's that's where I am with with Grimm and the other NBC shows. Oh, underlying misogyny. So much of it. There's yeah. just so much of it on certain certain series. Anyways, uh, let's uh, let's move on to our uh, the new shows of this past season. Uh, how's NBC doing? Not great, not great, Bob. Uh, I was gonna say it's like the third time that's come up. <laughs> yeah, this NBC actually finished first in the key demo, which is a big win for them. Um, but in terms of the new series, even with some hits, it's it's not looking good in terms of quality television. So. Uh, the new ones that premiered this year are Abound a Boy, I Believe, The Blacklist, Crisis, Chicago PD, uh, Crossbones, Dracula, The Night Shift, Growing Up Fisher, Ironside, The Michael J. Fox Show, Sean Saves the World, Undateable, and Welcome to the Family. Uh, so eight are already withdrawn for having been canceled. Believe, Crisis, Dracula, Growing Up Fisher, Ironside, Michael J. Fox Show. Sean Saves the World, and Welcome to the Family. And unlike the other networks that we've talked about, uh, I would not watch any more episodes of any of those canceled shows. So there's that. <laughs> so well canceled? Yeah. I mean, like, there was a version of Believe that might have worked, but it wasn't the one that aired on television. Mm -hmm. uh, and then Dracula was just a huge disappointment coming off of uh, Hannibal, which was a great um, reinvigoration of a established character in series so that's that's crappy and what i uh, add to that is uh not about that show but of those other shows and thomas lennon was amazing and hilarious on sean saves the world unfortunately sean saves the world is not made of tom lennon alone <laughs> there are too many other problems it's not worth saving no and you're right he he definitely garnered some laughs but that was about it uh, the the renewal gods are still out on Crossbones, Taxi Brooklyn, and Undateable, but I am not out on them. If they get renewed, I'm still not going to tune in for another season. None of them have been good enough yet, um, but I'll still watch the next few episodes probably at some point. And then of the four shows that have been renewed, uh, only one of them I'm going to keep up with. Uh, the three that I won't will be The Blacklist, Chicago PD, and The Night Shift. How did The Night Shift get How renewed for a second season? How did The Night season? Shift get renewed? Oh. What kind of world do we live in? A world where people love sweet ass motorcycles and <laughs> the doctors who ride them. Preferably oh through God. the ER. It's it's nothing makes sense anymore. Not that it did before, I guess, but whatever, NBC. Uh I will tune in for the second season of About a Boy. But even with that though, it wasn't like the best new sitcom or even like one of the five best. It was kinda just fine. Um, I enjoyed the performances. It was kind of cute at times, so uh, it's relatively harmless. I'm glad that it's going to be part of the, the regular rotation, so it's going to premiere in the fall rather than being a mid-season premiere, so we'll see what it can do with 22 episodes. Um, but that's it for NBC. We live in a television world, Sean, where Enlisted was canceled and <laughs> The Night Shift got a season two. <sighs> yeah. We should just 
review the shit out of the Night Shift Season 2. <laughs> it, Talking... it seems like it's worth it, but <laughs> as you are well aware, it is not. <laughs> you learned that lesson. <laughs> Good lord. Oh, man, yeah. But uh, I'm, I'm so, sort of in a similar place with About a Boy where it's... Uh, there are, there are elements there that I that I enjoy and I appreciate Jason Kadams and if they can make it all come together I think it has the potential to sing but I don't know I don't know that they've done that yet and if they haven't by the end of their first season it'll I think a lot will come down to does it make that first to second season jump where they take the off season they figure out the strengths of the varying actors and you know, what they want to do to really be something different than just a generic look at this wacky kid who lives next door kind of show. Um, so I, fingers crossed, it would be great. I, you know, I'd have a lot of faith in uh, Jason Kadams, but uh, that's sort of where I am. So I'm, I'm in a similar place with you, with NBC in general. Though they have my heart because they have uh, Hannibal. Yeah, well, the heart, the liver. As you say, please don't eat it. The leg, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I guess it's it's better to have a bunch of crappy shows and also the best show on network television. I guess I can't say that talking to you. Would you say that it's better than The Good Wife? I'd say that the finale was better. <laughs> That's a tough question, right? Yeah, they have different strengths and we- strengths and weaknesses. Um, they have like almost parallel, like opposite strengths and weaknesses. <laughs> I can't imagine talking about The Good Wife and having trouble with the gender representations and how I should feel about them. Um, but, uh, yeah, they're both, they're both damn good. Yeah. So, well, that wraps up our network report card series. Uh, let's, our, our final tally. Uh, I'm going to give three failing grades to CBS, NBC, and ABC. ABC gets a notable failing grade for having Betrayal, which I think might actually be the single most useless show that I have ever seen in my life. Betrayal, (laughs) Reckless, come on. (laughs) I've got so many mean things to say about Betrayal, and I'm really disappointed that people thought that that was a creative project that would work. But yes, positive grades, passing grades to, to Fox and the CW, um, just based on the new shows that they've aired this year. Okay, well, and I know there's some interesting, uh, interesting shows on on the horizon for both of those networks, and we'll talk about them a little bit in the coming weeks. Next week, theoretically, we'll have our Comic Con preview, depending on when they release the schedule. It might be be right before Comic Con, and it's because one can only collate so quickly. But, um, uh, but yes, yeah, so that'll be either be the next week or the week after and there are plenty of CW and Fox shows that are going to be making a splash at Comic-Con so we'll talk about that then but until then let us take a break and come back with our week in genre and drama
week in genre and drama, I'm going to preview the upcoming uh, season one of The Strain, season two of The Bridge, and then we'll talk a little True Blood, Fire in the Hole. That that feels wrong to say. <laughs> uh, Dominion, Broken Places, Rectify, Charlie Darwin, and The Leftovers, Penguin One Us Zero. So first, The Strain, which is coming to FX this this Sunday. It's the first foray of FX into Sunday evenings. They're coming out swinging because, of course, The Strain is a vampire horror series, um, and so it has that going for it, and I'm sure it'll get a lot of eyes that way. Uh, it has uh, some notable cast members that I know people are excited about, and then very specifically, of course, it's co-created by Guillermo del Toro and Chuck Hogan based on their their series of novels uh, of the same, the same name. Del Toro and Hogan uh, wrote the pilot... And then, and Guillermo del Toro directed it. So, I mean, I'm a big fan of Guillermo del Toro. So that certainly, it has that going for it. Um, there's 13, it's, it's, you know, standard 13 episode first, first season. Um, I've seen the first four. And there are elements that I find intriguing or promising. Um, it's far more mainstream than maybe I would like. I should rephrase it is far more mainstream in its uh in its in its narrative and its structure than i would ideally like i don't want the kind of gore that would make this show not mainstream and for some people it's going to be hard to watch there's there's creepy like worm things anybody who's seen the posters will know what i'm talking about <laughs> it's not a happy poster but um the the central performances uh you have Corey Stoll who of course made an impression very much in season one of House of Cards there's uh Mia Maestra who I enjoyed on Alias uh then uh the the big the big highlight for me though is um David Bradley who is sort of the uh the the aging Van Helsing figure uh this is the old guy who's seen this before and is getting too old for this shit and is going to have to try to do what he can to, to, to convince people of what's coming. Uh, so there's uh there, there, I really enjoyed that performance specifically. There's others that are, that are interesting or fun, um, but interest surprisingly enough, it's a bit slow, slowly paced. There, there, there are, it runs into that problem that sometimes horror series or, or movies have where, characters are making decisions and i'm watching it going okay why this is super weird why are you not worried or concerned why aren't you saying hey let's go to the doctor your eyes are blood red but when characters start not responding or not you know following that same logical thought process i need a reason especially if it's a week to week situation not not like a mini series or something um is is that sort of thing a stumbling block for you uh no i don't think so Okay, well then I look forward to your thoughts on some of this. But the the action or the suspense, some of it is very effective. Uh, I was very pleased to see a couple different character actors, I should say, or genre fan favorites pop up. I'm not going to say more than that because I don't want to deprive our listeners of of getting that fun moment of recognition. And um, it decides pretty quick early on what kind of show it wants to be. And it's not particularly deep. It's not particularly... uh, you know, it has a narrative and emotional through line for its main characters, but it's more focused on just being fun 
uh, or being, you know, uh, as much as a horror suspense show is fun. But, um, and that's fine. I just kind of wish it was more ambitious, but I'm sure a lot of people will really enjoy it. And I, you know, we'll get the chance to talk about it on the podcast. I'm assuming. Are you going to watch? Most definitely. Yeah. I imagine that you won't have any argument against dropping regular, regular coverage of Dominion in favor of this. No, no, I won't. <laughs> and we'll talk about Dominion a little bit. Um, I'm less excited about season two of The Bridge. I've seen the first two episodes. After the first two, I was ready to just drop away from the show. But they've just sent me five more. Um, and if anyone out there who has is involved with the TV show is curious, if you send me DVDs, I will feel guilty if I don't watch them. So I will probably watch them, even if I really don't like your show, which is why I still have this DVD of Tyrant episodes sitting next to me right at this moment and will at some point probably watch them. Um, so, uh, so, so yes, if you're curious if sending DVDs gets people to watch shows, if, if they're me, then yes, they do. Uh, the trouble that I have with, with, the bridge is I really enjoy the most of the characters, the central characters. I really like the actors. I think they're all very talented. I've, I, you know, getting to spend time with the Emily Rios and Matthew Lillard as sort of like a buddy cop duo uh, was a lot of fun last year. And, you know, getting to, to have some more familiarity with Matthew Lillard in that more comedic role was, was great. Um, and certainly the central Demi Bashir and, and Diane Kruger are, are both fantastic, but, um, I just kind of hate the world that they're surrounded by. It's just ceaselessly grim and it lingers on moments and lingers in uh, this mood in a way that I just don't need. The The most interesting element of the show for me in season one was the contrast in life for, you know, the, on these other two sides of the bridge and personality and culture and, and so much more. And it wasn't things with the cartel it wasn't the crime the seedy underbelly uh in in Juarez it, you know these are elements I've seen plenty of times before uh watching how the the different people interact on either side of the border watching you know spending time with these very likable very interesting leads that was great um and we get one but unfortunately it comes with the other in the second season so right now I'm if you liked season uh, one, particularly how it ended, you will probably like these first two episodes and you will probably like se the second season. I like that they aren't doing a serial killer thing in the same way in the second season, but I'm just, I don't need more grim in my life. I, I have the leftovers. That's grim enough. Uh, yeah, it, it definitely is a series that has been probably justly criticized for being another dark, moody, grim piece, and yet I, I'm somewhat of an apologist for this series, I think. I don't think that it's one of the best things on television, but you know how there's shows that you like a little bit less than other critics seem to, and there's some that you like a little bit more. This is the case where I think I like it a little bit more than most critics do, and uh, you mentioned the performances and that Damian Bashir and, and Diane Kruger as the central leads are fantastic. To me, that's that's even underselling it. Like I was so impressed by this pair, uh, and, and also the supporting characters, which you mentioned, did an amazing job. But like I'm talking in terms of the nuance there, just based on the other things that I've seen them in. Like I, I was 
maybe not as interested in them as characters as Masters and Johnson, but I actually like those performances more than Michael Sheen and Lizzie Kaplan, which I know is blasphemy for a lot of people. So like this was a, a breakthrough dual performance for me last year, and I'm very much on board with the color palette, which is just gorgeous. Um, and so it actually kind of goes against the the darker um, brush strokes a lot of the time when we get into the more desert areas, obviously. Um, and so that's always a plus. So I, again, I won't say that this is one of the, the better shows around, even during the summer, even just on FX, but it's one that I'm very happy to, to sit and watch more episodes of. People will be glad to hear, or at least I was glad to hear, that Annabeth Gish's character is not around. In these first two episodes, I would be surprised if she didn't pop up at some point. There's some really uh, fun use of music in these first two episodes, particularly the start of the second episode. Uh, starts with a, a fun musical sequence or montage or whatever. Musical use of music. Um, so, yeah, there's still definitely stuff to like. And we'll talk about it next week. But, um, but yeah, that's where I'm at with the bridge. So let's move on. To True Blood, Fire in the Hole, and where are you at with True Blood? Are you ready? Are you? Are, do you have <laughs> enough blood in your life? Are you ready to give up? Uh, well, I think like many of the vampire characters, I'm I'm slowly dying, and I'm sure by the end of the series, I will be dead. So you'll have to find a new podcast partner. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this was an episode of Justified. Except Why? it wasn't. <laughs> Except it wasn't. Why would you title your episode Fire and... How do they not know that, that Elmore Leonard took that and then I, justified, yeah. you know? Hey, you know what, though? Alcide's dead. Okay. There you go. He's He's gone. And it was uneventful. And wow. <laughs> For a character that the show has invested so much time in, like, I don't know, like last season, which was also bad, um, at least featured, like, a a good respectful send-off for Terry Terry Belfleur, uh, and also like a really heartbreaking final scene between him and Carrie Preston, um, Arlene. But uh, yeah, this was just totally uneventful, and I don't imagine that they're going to comment much more upon this other than Suki occasionally saying, oh no, Alcide's dead. Well, does the show care more about Alcide's death or Tara's death? Let me rephrase. Did the show care less about Tara's death or Alcide's death? <laughs> It's they are pretty comparable, uh, so neither, both, they're, they're just not good. Well, that's fun, and I'm sure that for a lot of people, oh my god, they keep killing people. They're serious, but if the show doesn't care that they're dead, if the show doesn't, uh, in, you know, invest and in, explore and really feel the weight of the death, then what's the point of it? Yeah. So that was the low light. The highlight was seeing Anna Camp return as uh, Sarah Newman and mm-hmm. Newlin. Um, and it seems like now, because Pam has found Eric now, uh, he's apparently on a mission to go kill Sarah Newlin. So that will be fun to see Anna Camp eventually die for being such a pesky character. Huh. Yeah, if there's any character, they're not going to randomly kill off its Eric. So... Yeah, that 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 could be fun, certainly. And Anna Camp, you know, Anna Camp getting more work is a thing that makes me happy because I I enjoy Anna Camp quite a bit. But uh, yeah, that's True Blood. Woo! True Blood. True Blood. Okay, let's move on to Dominion, Broken Places, and this is another one where it's just I, I there are there are a couple little things in this uh, episode that I thought were interesting. 
but there's nowhere near enough for me to keep watching it in a summer where I've finally started Orange is the New Black. And I, spoiler alert, guys, I had a lot of fun with the first four episodes. We're going to wait. We're going to hold off on talking about that until uh, Sean's had a chance to see some and I've uh, had, or hopefully I've had a chance to, to see more of it. But, um, but when I, when I haven't seen all of Orange is the New Black season two, I don't have time to watch Dominion maybe get a little better. Yeah, it's because we got other things like uh, the strain and the bridge coming up. It's we're done with it, and I, I think there was a fair chance. And you're right, there are some things that work uh, for anybody who's seen Terminator Salvation, which was not a very good movie at all, but it at least had this really wonderful cinematography about it. And I think that in a lot of these scenes that take place in the desert outside of Vega, um, not only is that a better setting for the show, it, it also looks much better, but all of the political stuff isn't really working in terms of creating a, an interesting narrative. And ultimately, this is kind of just an okay sci-fi series. Well, we were talking earlier about underlying misogyny. There's a fun little bit of it here this week as well. And it's it's not an... It certainly does... It's it, I'm sure a lot of people wouldn't even necessarily see it as such, but you've got two angel characters that uh, one is going to be killed to show just how serious our, our main villain is. And, of course, it's the woman, because this is a show with very few interesting women. Uh, very few women with any level of agency. So if you're going to have a random character killed to show how serious the uh, the, the male lead is when talking to the other male baddie of course it's going to be a woman so you know these are the these are the the elements what i'm talking about watching a show just as sort of laundry folding and then just sort of uh, as you notice details like that this is one that I, I can just break up with at this point seconded yeah let's move on to a show neither of us is breaking up with and that's rectify charlie darwin this is episode three and we get to see uh we get to see daniel out and about a bit yeah, he's trying to help out with the neighbor's tree, and that doesn't go very well. But uh, he's he's moving around. He's washing windows. Now, my main takeaway it, I, that was a wonderful sequence, by the way, I with the with the tree and the, and the windows and everything. Um, my main takeaway, though, is I hate Teddy G. Now, when we were talking about episode one, and 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 I was saying. Uh, how how much I don't like Teddy Jr. Um, this is what I was talking about because he's pressuring his he, he okay here's the thing the show has he has to be right that's the only that's what I've decided because if he is wrong and they lose their house because he's pressuring his wife who's feeling guilty about having had an emotional connection with Daniel uh, I can't I won't be able to take it. <laughs> Because they already don't like him so much. So I feel like he's going to have to be right. Because that's the only way that I can't just like throw stuff at my TV whenever he's on it. Talk me down from the ledge. Um, they, I think that they're doing a good job making him a difficult character to get on with. Obviously he's annoying as hell sometimes. And yeah, that pressuring of Tani to get the paper signed. And also his mother-in-law um, kind of... Uh, going around or behind his, his dad's back is not good at all. So it, it would be good if he is right. And yet, just looking at what he's been through, I don't know. I guess he doesn't really have or shouldn't deserve much of a sense of entitlement as far as this goes. Uh, Daniel's reemergence 
and reincorporation into the family is certainly a huge issue for him. Obviously, Daniel attacked him towards the end of last season. Obviously, his wife has been affected by this in ways that he would prefer otherwise. And still, he he's still an asshole, yeah. And probably a redeemable one, but this episode, more so than the first two, don't provide a good case for why we should be a little bit more sympathetic towards him. I think the biggest reason to be sympathetic towards him is one that, again, they don't stress it in this episode, but they did in the first two. It's only been seven days. Now now with this, like, the recovery, maybe, you know, eight or nine. It's been less than two weeks since the start of, of the, uh, the series, since Daniel was released. And so, yeah, you know what? A, a week or two of adjustment to, you know, having a brother... And uh, feeling like, oh no, my brother who spent 20 years on death row is getting all the attention. Well, you know what? Shut the fuck up. Your brother's just getting out after having spent 20 years on death row. You're a terrible person for feeling, you know, for, for feeling um, uh, underappreciated during this two, this one week of transition time. Um, but I think that is an, a key thing to try to keep in mind while he's being difficult. He was relatively civil, walking Daniel back to the house after uh, the he couldn't move the tree. So that was good, at least. Good? I don't know if that's the right word, but... Well, yeah, and and again, Daniel assaulted him last week, well, last season, and we don't really know what happened, and he doesn't know what happened. Uh, so it's, you know, there's there's very good reason for, for him to not be uh, comfortable with or around... Daniel. Granted, Daniel only did that after Teddy Jr. was mocking him for being gang raped. So, you know, that Teddy Jr. is a winner too, but uh <laughs> But no, it's a very it's an excellent performance. It's easy to lose track of when you dislike a character, but that's exactly how we're supposed to feel about Teddy right now and it's an excellent performance. It's very well written. Um and yeah, there's, you know, they're doing a good job making me not like him, but making me think that maybe there's a reason that I, I should feel bad for that. Certainly, certainly. And they, they did a great job with uh, the Bobby Dean scenes in this episode as well, specifically uh, Daggett, Sheriff Daggett going to the cell and kind of just talking with him about uh, what he would plan to do if he ever got free, kind of holding off on letting him know that he's been released because Daniel has decided not to, to point the finger at the person who's actually to blame, uh, which I think was a predictable move, but one that feels true and still works for the series. Um, but I thought that that was a great... See, I really like what they're doing with Sheriff Daggett, who isn't just there to kind of advance the plot, but I think is a good um, point of contrast uh, and comparison with some characters. It's also just a good... Uh, point of contrast in comparison with season one it's they're doing a much better job with him and anything involved with that character than uh than than we got in season one so yeah definitely i absolutely agree any thoughts on daniel this week i uh you gotta be worried for him so the last bit we get with him is him speeding in a car he doesn't have a license and obviously they're not gonna just send him into a crash or anything because he was just in the hospital but i I worry for Daniel, and I think obviously we should worry for Daniel anyway, but, um, you know, after that first episode that ended with him telling his, his vision of Kerwin that he doesn't know if he can really handle life outside, um, there's got to be something that happens to him that gives him 
purpose. Like everything that we've seen that might be that thing, whether that's Tawny or something else, hasn't exactly worked out for him. So I'm hoping at some point Daniel finds um, meaning in his life that isn't like it has to be something new, right? It can't be restricted to things of the past because that already has like a bad taint to it. So I don't know what it is that he needs to find. Yeah. Yeah. That's, <laughs> I'm not sure what, but, but you know, the finding purpose is so significant to uh, a character like that. When, when you have a character who's lost, uh, when I was writing up my Spartacus review for the second episode of the series, that was a big move that the show made in its second it's dedicated its pilot to introducing the characters and then its second episode to giving the character a purpose so that we didn't retread the same mental state of i've lost my wife you know I've, of these different things have happened to me oh the the trauma they gave him purpose so that way we could move forward and having that obviously these are hugely different shows but having a character like daniel find a purpose would very much affect his trajectory and could very uh could change the tone if that's what they want to do but um as far as his mental state and his stability having something to put his energy towards would be uh huge but i just can't imagine what that could be at this point yeah i mean he might have to just get out of the town but it that wouldn't be rectified right so i'm sure ray mckinnon has something up his sleeve yeah, I look forward to watching uh, episode four and and getting to getting back into real time with everybody and uh, just ha having that to look forward to on Thursday nights. Because uh, any other thoughts on Rectifier? Shall we move on to the leftovers? Let's go to the leftovers. Penguin one us zero. Uh, are are you having the same struggles with the show after the second episode? Yeah, I'm not there yet. Although uh, it's inching there, so there are things that I can latch on to with this episode. Um, Liv Tyler's character, I think the scenes that we get with her, and especially the last one where she's there chopping the tree, um, that I was working, I don't want to say like better, because there's nothing in these first two episodes that I think like, oh wow, they clearly don't know what they're doing. It's just a matter of, I'm having a hard time um, personally connecting with the series. Yeah, uh, I, I don't fault you for that. Um, my, I would guess that that will come next week, but you know, who knows? We'll talk about next week's episode next week. The the scenes with uh, Liv Tyler, yeah, I, you know, I'm I'm having trouble with the the remnants. Um, the I, I forget the first word of their name, but with those guys, I think the some of the performances are are really tremendous. You know, take away the vocals, and then that gives you a different. Uh, different playing field and that's uh, that's been fun to watch but um, I just kind of want her to run away from them and I don't feel like I know her well enough to understand why she is there because um, they just yeah. seem so blatantly malevolent yeah it's you're 100% right with that they didn't really show enough uh, scenes important ones at least with with her and her husband before this to kind of justify it. Um, so it's, I don't know. I, I'm more interested in that cultish group than I am with Wayne and uh, the sheriff's son. Um, so I, I don't know. Like, I know you said that we're going to kind of splinter off maybe into 
different perspectives for certain episodes. I, I actually do really like um, Justin Thoreau's character, uh, the chief of police, and they haven't really developed him in ways that I think that there's a bunch of nuance to his character, but there's like interesting stuff going on with him. And so what we get with him and his dad uh, in this episode and the the similarities that, that he's undergoing to what happened with him and this guy who may or may not be a vision. Um, it's the, I'm, I'm still hooked there. So that's not turning me off yet. Okay. Do you want that guy to be real or do you want that guy to be a vision? Um, uh, I don't know. I, I guess maybe real because he found the bagel. So, well, and he's so, so clearly being set up as a vision that it would be nice if he actually was a guy. Yeah. I mean, the daughter saw him, right? Maybe. I don't know. Cause you they think? didn't, they didn't interact in that scene. So she might've just been saying, Oh, who was that? Because he was like yelling outside of his door. So I don't know. Yep. It could go either way. Um, I mean, based on what we're we're being led to believe strongly that it's an hallucination, but you really could go either way. And I look forward to what we find out next. Uh, I also look forward to more specifically talking about next week's episode next week because I have uh, I'm not sure what it's saying or what the philosophy of the show is. Um, but we will talk about that then. Uh, any final thoughts on the leftovers? I'm. I want to like this series. You know, there's a lot of great talent here um, the, and a lot of good performances and the buzz has been good. I know uh, that, you know, you said just give it that time. So the three episodes that you've seen have kind of uh, consecutively gotten better. And I know critics have seen the fifth one as well. And some people are holding off on that. But um, I, I want this to be good because HBO obviously has a, a very strong track record. Um, I was a big fan of True Detective, and I like my Sunday nights filled with quality programming. Well, it's going to be a Sunday Palooza next week, so we'll have to – well, plenty to talk about on the podcast. But until then, what wins your week in drama and genre? It has to be Rectify. Yes, once again, it is Rectify, and uh, it with very little competition. Little competition from The Leftovers, but not, not a lot. You don't like – Justified True Blood, though? I did not watch Justified True Blood. I don't know if I could handle it. I miss True Blood. I, I, I miss Justified quite a bit, so I, I think the True Blood version would have just made me pine all the more for a little time in Harlan, so that's, <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't put myself through that. That's why. That's, that's fair it. enough. A few show notes before we go to our DVD shelf with Jennifer Armstrong talking about 30 Rock. Uh, you can find a post up at soundonsite.org for this episode where you can leave us a comment. Let us know what you thought of the week's TV. You can follow us on Facebook. You can like us on Facebook to follow the goings-on at Sound Onsite TV. You can uh, email us, theteleverse at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter. I am at the Televerse, and you are? At Sean Coletti. And, of course, we also have iTunes feeds. There's an MP3 unchaptered feed and an M4A chaptered feed, so you can skip on through the shows you don't watch. Uh, we would very much appreciate any ratings or reviews that you guys want to give us there. It's been a while. be nice, maybe. 
Maybe a little bit. I should also mention, of course, uh, coming up here, we're going to have our Comic-Con preview. And at the end of the month, uh, or I should say the third week of the month, we'll be in Comic-Con. We'll be in San Diego. At least I'll be there for Comic-Con. And you're driving up as well for the meetup. So there's the, on Thursday night, in on July 24th, we'll be at the Dublin Square Pub for the Battleship Pretension, Warner Archives, and Criterion Cast meetup. We're even on the poster, Sean. Oh, man, that's professional. I know. We're a guest podcast. Oh, That's going to be showing up for the meetup. I'll, I'll be sure to be on form in terms of my drinking. Well, well you know, we'll have to be very erudite and uh, say intelligent things. Cause, uh, I will, there's a 95% chance I'll be wearing a Hannibal t-shirt. Intriguing. Very nice. And, and of course, you know, that means that we're, we are, we're committed guys. We're on the poster. So we're going there. You guys should, you guys should come too. It'll be a lot of fun, but uh, we'll talk a little bit more about Comic-Con next week or maybe the week after, depending on when they put up the schedule. And until then, Sean, what is our question of the week? If 2% of the world's population suddenly disappeared, who outside of your family and friends would you be most upset about having been disappeared? Huh? Uh, if I know them, do they count as friends? Like, what if they're, like, acquaintances? Yeah, I think that's fine. That, those count as friends or what? Yes? Those don't count as friends, so they're fair game. So if you're talking about Gary Busey, then that's okay. Well, I've not met Gary Busey. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But he disappeared. <laughs> that's so unfortunate. I know. It is. It is. Uh, well, that I thought the Tony Bourdain disappearing was... was was like a that was the, I felt like that was the right level of celebrity, where yeah. if you're in a certain sphere, it's like huge, and if you don't know anything about cooking stuff or reality shows, you that means nothing to you. So that was pretty fun. Um, I you know there are there I would say some of my teachers that you know I haven't maybe I haven't talked to in forever, but if I found out that you know some of my favorite teachers. Over the course of my life, uh, were one of the ones who had disappeared. That would, you know, that would be that would be upsetting. That would be. Oh, now I now I feel bad. Sorry, I gave too serious a response. <laughs> um, Joe Rowling. <laughs> I like Harry Potter. How about that? Okay. Hey, Joss Whedon. How about that? No, I feel Joe Rowling. That's more of a childhood, you know, thing for me. Okay, let's go with uh, that. Yeah. We're going authors, then uh, yeah, I I would. My life would not be as good if I didn't know that, that Zadie Smith and Jonathan Franzen were out there. So, them. Yeah, I don't expect to read another Joe Rowling book, but just I like knowing that she's out there, you know. Doing she's her thing. Doing her thing, you know, donating a bunch of money to charity and just generally going around being wealthier than the Queen because she made Harry Potter and is awesome, by all accounts. Yeah, take that, Queen. <laughs> In the Queen's face. Well, on that cheery note, let's uh, take a break, listen to a clip and some music, and come back with critic and author Jennifer Armstrong to talk a little 30 Rock. Are you familiar with the GE Trivection oven? I don't cook very much. Sure. I got you. New York, third wave feminist, college educated, single and pretending to be happy about it, overscheduled, undersexed. You buy any magazine that says healthy body image on the cover, and every two years you take up knitting for a week. That is dead on. What, are you going to guess my weight now? You don't want me to do that. That knitting thing is uncanny. How do you do that? Market research, my friend. Years and years of market research, which led to my greatest triumph... 
That is impressive. The people upstairs think so. That's why they promoted me. That's why they sent me here to retool your show. Retool what now? I'm the new vice president of East Coast Television and Microwave Oven Programming. That sounds like you program microwave ovens. I like you. You have the boldness of a much younger woman. back with the televerse this is kate kulzik joined as ever by sean coletti and this week on the dvd shelf i've i guess i've really been enjoying the the shows that have been coming up recently because they've been uh very female centric and this is another one of them and this is uh, 30 rack and here to help us talk about it is writer and author of mary and lou and wrote in ted which is of course a book all about uh, mary tyler the mary tyler moore show and of course she's got a book about seinfeld coming out next year it's jennifer armstrong jennifer welcome to the show hi thanks for having me uh, so what made you want to talk about 30 Rock? Well, um, you have just recapped it, actually, for me. Um, I sort of see 30 Rock as a middle ground between the Mary Tyler Moore show and Seinfeld. Um, it's also one of my favorite shows, but it has kind of like, you can see the Seinfeld influence. It has that wacky, kind of non-sequitur, crazy humor, quotable stuff. Um, but it's also female-centric, and you can really see the specific elements that kind of are paralleled from the Mary Tyler Moore show in terms of the single woman and the workplace and the male boss slash mentor. I mean, Tina Fey actually has said that she sort of patterned it after the Mary Tyler Moore show, and it's fairly obvious. So that's why I figured this would be a good one to talk about. The Mary Tyler Moore show influence is very prominent, particularly in the pilot, the, the I have issues with the 30 Rock pilot. I wasn't actually, a f everybody else loved it, but I wasn't a fan of it actually. Um, but rewatching it for this, there, there is such, it's so clear that the, that Tina Fey has a love for that show, just in the, the way that it's structured and the music choices and, and all of that. And so the, the Mary Richards influence on, on Liz Lemon was clear for me, but I had never, I had never really thought of, Elaine Bennis in terms of Liz Lemon until you mentioned them, uh, you know, the, seeing that connection. And as soon as you did, it was obvious. Yeah. And, you know, it's so funny because I, you know, Tina Fey has talked about both of those women being her kind of heroines, you know, comedically, both Mary Tyler Moore and Julia Louis-Dreyfus, who are two of the the greatest. Um, and so is Tina Fey. And I agree. I have to agree with you about the pilot though, too. I would say that um, it's not 30 rock at it's, it's not there yet. You know, it's, it's kind of not quite, quite baked yet. Yeah. And I'm glad I'm not the only one because <laughs> yeah. everybody else was like, there's this great new show. And I had, you know, watched it and I was just flummoxed by, I was like, it's <laughs> trying so hard to be these other, it's trying to be that girl and it's not. Yeah. <laughs> and that's because 30 rock, wasn't going to be that girl. It was going to be a very different show with a very different sensibility. But, uh, you know, they obviously, they figured, they figured themselves out pretty quickly, I would say. And by the end of the, the first season, I was, I was back on board. I actually, I stopped watching. So I watched the pilot and said, everybody's crazy. And I had done the same thing with community as well. And then at the end of the season, I went back, uh, cause everybody kept talking about it. I watched like the finale and said, okay, fair enough. I suppose yep. it's a good show. <laughs> 
Uh, and then, of course, I watched the rest of the show and had some ups and downs. But on the whole, it was uh-huh. such a great show. Sean, what was your relationship with 30 Rock? Did What did you think of that pilot? And did you follow it while it was on? Uh, I didn't follow it when it was on. This actually began airing a year before I started to seriously watch television. And as such, I've actually not seen the pilot. Um, hmm. I've seen a whole bunch of episodes here and there. Uh, but that is not why. I think the first episode that I've seen in the sequence is, I believe it's the seventh episode of the first season, Tracy Does Conan. Um, but yeah, that first season is kind of a big gap for me. Well, and there are some, you know, just rewatching some of it, there, there are some tonal, you know, irregularities for me in that first season. Um, certainly they have their ideas of the characters down, but especially when you rewatch that pilot, that that's a different, far more serious Tracy Jordan that we see peeking out around the corners. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I um, I covered the show a lot when I was at Entertainment Weekly at the time. And um, I do believe that part of what we're seeing there is actually that they were trying to make a more mainstream show. Like, they wanted to be a hit. And it was such a weird time for television where, like, people were still kind of trying to be mass mainstream hits. And so I think that's why we saw so much more of the Mary Tyler Moore show and less of the Seinfeld for lack of a better way of saying it, you know, so much like that kind of straight down the middle single girl trying to make it. And then it turns into this just completely absurdist craziness that we sort of, I think the people who came to love the show, that's what we responded to. It has, it's, it's zany. It's ridiculous. (laughs) And it's, it's, it's basically at certain points, a live action cartoon and uh, it's straight faced embracing of that, 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 you know, wacky element here and there, uh, particularly with certain characters, but that's part of what really makes it sing. And then you, you counter that with the, the very uh, friendly and, um, and actually pretty de- deep by the end of the show with a very strong connection between Donaghy and Lemon. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it really helps balance all that. And that's really where the, for me, the Mary Tyler Moore show influence comes in because the different, the big difference here is that Liz Lemon is not Mary Richards. <laughs> she's nowhere near as, she's way too snarky. She's way too self-involved. You know, she's wonderful, but she's, she's not Mary Richards. So when the show is trying to be that more mainstream thing. It just doesn't quite sit right. And when it embraces its quirk is when it really, like one of the early episodes that, and, and I'm, I, maybe I have this wrong in the sequence. I feel like it's an early episode, but I think the, the episode where I first really uh, embraced Liz Lemon is the one where she, she meets Mr. Perfect and it's her cousin. Uh, oh. <laughs> And just like the 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 car the the why universe element of yes. that, it really I think that's what made me. It's like, and that's something they would never do on Mary Tyler Moore, and they probably wouldn't even. They might do on Seinfeld, actually, thinking about it. But, but yeah, so the, I think the moments like that are really what made me embrace the show. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I mean, I can remember there's tiny things, and I I can't even tell you like which episode this is per se. But I remember there's a moment fairly earlyish where she's like drinking white wine while, she, while she's on the treadmill, um, <laughs> and I just was like, see, this is. I felt like she was like the single girl in New York City, in like as as she actually was, or as as we felt more than like the Sex in the City kind of glamorous. You know, this was just like a working woman trying to find any time at all to date. And then she goes to date. And like you said, you know, she ends up meeting her cousin or whatever, like like the worst possible things. And I feel like she represented so much of how so much more of how 
single woman, single professional women can actually feel versus like what these glamorized versions that were sold as what we're supposed to feel like. Well, definitely. And uh, that's actually one of the things that over the course of the series actually became a little frustrating for me because they, because I felt like they tried to hold on to that for too long. They tried to maintain that, you know, they basically, I think they kept her single too, Mm -hmm. too long. So they had to keep coming up with, reasons more and more ridiculous reasons why she was (laughs) off-putting when we saw her being so uh, intelligent and funny and and likable all throughout her day and at first i can give you that but after a while Mm -hmm. after she's been you know mentored by jack and he's smoothed out the edges i think they could have i think they could have you know pulled the trigger on 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 some of that a little bit earlier and that would have really uh made that part of the show more believable for me I do love that she ends up with the super hot husband um, who's kind of like, you know, not in the alpha position in their relationship. Like the the relationship she ends up in, I really like, but you're right. Like any of those, you know, any show that's about a person being single always has this problem where it's like they either have this series of, you know, long-term relationships that keep not working out for bizarre reasons or they don't have any relationship and you're like, what's wrong with them? Um, it's always a problem for these shows. Yeah, well, and I like that eventually they stop pretending she's not, you know, very pretty. At mm. first, they're trying to like glasses, bad haircut. <laughs> yeah, it's like, come on, guys, glasses, glasses are cute too. But sorry, Sean, we've been monopolizing the conversation over here. Uh, what What was your reaction to to the Liz Lemon character? Uh, I'm glad that you brought all that up because I'm sure there's like a really uh, theoretical deconstructive way to to make me sound like an ass and saying yeah you can't really keep a character like that um single in the way that she is with Mm -hmm. it being totally believable like she's clearly so many people's like dream girl so i'm glad (laughs) that they kind of did away with some of the things like you just said kate that they they stopped trying to pretend that she wasn't as pretty as she actually is but like a few other female leads on sitcoms and even ones that are still running right now just a really, really wonderful and endearing and flawed character that is easy to get on board with, even at her worst, I think. And one of the other things that, you know, that I think it's important to, to distinguish, again, with that Mary Tyler Moore connection is, for me, I, one of the things I love about the Mary Tyler Moore show is that she's still single at the end. Cause, but, but the difference is that they establish early on in 30 Rock that Liz Lemon doesn't want to be single. She's very focused on that. She really feels like, you know, that's a back part of, you know, the back part of her brain. Uh, even in the even in the pilot, they have Jack talking about how um, she's uh, that she's single and pretending that she's happy about it. Mm. Whereas whereas Mary Richards, she had relationships. Sometimes she didn't, but she didn't seem to be really striving for that or really seeking that in the same way. So I, it's believable for me that she's not focused on that. And and because they did have uh, have Liz, you know, wanting to find a partner for so much of the show, that's where where I see the distinction there between those two representations. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's so interesting that you say that because now I'm like, it's so weird because Mary Richards is so much more sort of perfect, and it's like dudes were constantly falling all over themselves for her. But you're right. I guess maybe that's why it made it believable because she was like, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Not really worried about it, which is why she was, of course, a hugely groundbreaking character at the time in the 1970s. Um, So it's interesting to see. I always think that, like, in modern times, Rhoda 
would be the lead character because we do like our heroines kind of more flawed and quirky these days. Um, whereas, you know, at that time she had to be the sidekick because she was too funny and too quirky to be the lead character. Well, and we have one of those... We have one of those here because uh, because if, if Liz is flawed, then <laughs> Jenna's insane. But such a wonderful performance from Jane Krakowski. I just, I always <sighs> laugh. Yeah, she is like those those supporting characters on that show are everything, right? They're all so weird and wacky. I, I hate that we have to keep using the word wacky, but there's no other word. Um, but they t- somehow sell it. I guess you believe that she is as crazy as she acts. Well, they commit. They com- she yeah. com- she absolutely commits. Rural <laughs> juror, come Rural on! Juror. <laughs> how do you not? How do you completely sell that? She makes that totally believable, and then she sings this song in the finale, and it's amazing. Oh my God. But it oh. takes commitment for that to be believable. It's so She's true. A great um, yeah, she, she is. is. She is. Mystic Pizza, the musical, also one of my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> little bits she stars in mystic pizza the musical at one point and gains like 30 pounds because she has to eat pizza on stage every night um like just and then figures out that like there's actually advantages to being overweight on television because then she can just be like she her bit becomes like me want food and then everyone laughs um <laughs> it's just like crazy stuff like that but she totally right she totally sells it one of my favorite Jenna moments is I think the show was called America's Kids Got Singing or something like that. Yes. <laughs> Where she just gets to destroy kids' dreams in the best of ways. She just pulls it off so well. Oh. Yeah. Well, and, you know, and again, I really enjoy how they counterpoint her. Cause, and, and it's not, she's very insecure in the pilot, but. She's not insane, which she mm-hmm. will eventually be. Uh, and so to counterpoint the two different kinds of insane you get with Jenna and with, with uh, Tracy are, it's just, it's delightful. And by the end of the show, when they're referencing, basically these are her two kids, Liz's two children, it really does, it really does work. Yeah, I was just thinking about that when you were saying it. That was so, it's so brilliant because that really is the point of the show to a large extent is that. I think if there's any good explanation the show offers, I don't know that it was trying that hard, but if there's any explanation the show offers for her singleness that we were just talking about, it's that. It's that she was so occupied with her job and these crazy childlike people she had to deal with that she kind of was being a mother and didn't even realize it and she didn't have time to, to you know make room for that in her own personal life. We had, I talked about Jane Krakowski committing. Uh, Tracy Morgan is just doing his own thing for for much of this and I, I don't know when exactly they just said just you know and then of course I'm, I'm sure this is also the writers as well but when they just decided no we're just gonna go completely just left field with this <laughs> character but it was the way to go yeah he is like the biggest reason that um i i will eventually go and, and plow through all this watching tracy morgan in this role and you've talked already about the zaniness of this series and some of its characters. Tracy Jordan is in a whole nother level. Like, it's several steps above, I think, everything that's going on. He's kind of operating in his own show within this show. And just to see him, .com, and Grizz interact with everybody else, it makes everybody else look sane a lot of the times. And this is one of my favorite individual sitcom performances that I've ever seen is Tracy Morgan. 
that's such a good way of putting it too, that they like, I like to think, I never thought of it that way, but I like to think of like Tracy thinks he's the star of a show. Like he thinks he's the star of his own sitcom that's going on over here. He has no, he would never even know that Liz is the star of her own sitcom, you know, like that's totally how he's operating. <laughs> yeah. And he, you know, and then when you, we get the, was it Queens of Queen of Jordan or whatever <sighs> that, that parody, I mean, to, to have, to be able to create such distinct and extreme characters, but, be able to blend them all and, and ha allow them to really come together. It's impressive writing. They, they, it would be very easy for such extremes uh, on really every end. I mean, Kenneth, I mean, every, there's a lot of extremes going on. It would be very easy for them to pull the show apart, but instead uh, Tina Fey and the writers do a really good job of, of making them counterbalance each other. Yeah, that is really, I mean, it's it's extraordinary. I haven't picked apart exactly how the structure works, but it has to be pretty, it has to be pretty beyond just A, B structure, kind of typical sitcom stuff going on there. What I find really interesting is, is the characters and particular gags are really what I take out of 30 Rock. Um, and, and also, just as I absolutely adored the Mary Richards-Lou relationship, I do really love the, uh, the Liz and uh, Jack relationship and and really how they developed that over the course of of the series but this is also a show it's been gone for what a year and it, it has already really influenced the public lexicon egot is a thing mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. there there are a bunch of of thing of, of quotes or, or ideas from this show i want to go to i there. want to go to there <laughs> yes i'm just thinking of two that are just straight they're just part of the uh the, the lexicon now it's true. And I mean, talking about Seinfeld, like that was it's that was Seinfeld's special skill. And I do think that um, that's why I think stuff like that to me is where the Seinfeld influence really comes in is those like crazy left field, but then also totally useful somehow in normal everyday life that and are so fun to just quote it. Like if you've ever had that experience of like talking about 30 Rock with somebody at a party, but then the third party like has never seen it. And it's like you're talking your own language if you start talking about this, you know, this show or reenacting an episode. And the person who hasn't seen it is like, I don't even know what anybody's talking about. So I'm just going to walk away now. Um, that's what makes it special, though. Well, and, and it's again, I've, a lot of shows try to do that, try mm -hmm. to create, you know, buzzwords. Or I mean, I still always remember when the CW or, or I think it was CW at that point, not the WB was like, guys. Life unexpected, you should all call it Lux. It's like, if you have to tell us, <laughs> you've failed. And so so when a show does, you know, create these little uh, ideas that, that just catch on like that, it's it's always a fun, you know, especially because sometimes they, it builds and it's, you know, it takes a while and then you realize, you look back and you realize, oh, that's from this. Um, and so for certain elements to catch on so quickly and to, to be now divorced in people's minds a lot of the time from 30 Rock, where they originated, I think is really notable. Absolutely. Uh, do we have uh, any, do we want to talk about any of these other supporting characters? We want to talk about episodes? What, which way do you guys want to go with this? I guess we can get episodes in just a moment, but just on the characters, the one one of the things that I admire 30 Rock the most for is the insane quality and number of guest performances. So mm -hmm. the, absolutely the central cast is wonderful, but the amount of guest performers that they get in there, not just for the sake of having them, but who actually turn in hilarious. And these are a lot of dramatic actors as well. I mean, we could talk about John Hamm on this show um, mm. for a while probably. But it's 
that level of the use of guest actors, I think, has been unparalleled in any other sitcom that I've seen. Yeah, you're you're totally right. I mean, and people like Elizabeth Banks, I mean, her character was so amazing with Jack. Like, you you would never have thought that he could have an ongoing relationship for so long with someone equally insane, you know, to him. And it just totally works. And yeah, you're right. There's so many, there's so many you could talk about. For John Hamm, I do really love the progression mm-hmm. of that character, the, that they kept bringing him back. I mean, his first arc is just delightful. It's like a two or three part arc where he's Mr. Perfect. And then you realize he's in, he, he lives in a bubble, which is another 30 mm-hmm. rack. Uh, notion that we the handsome bubble uh and then just the way that they kept tweaking it and having fun with it and again the series memory of that over the course of seven seasons it's just it's just delightful and then the other one that uh i mean elizabeth banks was fantastic but the other one that i would specifically point out is elaine stritch as Mm -hmm. as uh jack's mother the arc of that was she's always she's always hilarious but then the way that they progressed that especially towards the end of the series was was very moving while always being hilarious. Yeah, it's very rare, I think, that at least from the episodes that I've seen, that 30 Rock really hit that moving quality very well. But I think the the conclusion to that arc, and especially her final episode and, and Jack's eulogy, um, I think they nailed it there. Are there any other guest uh, performers who particularly <sighs> stand out for you guys? God, there's so many. It's like hard to even Paul remember. Gianotti. Oh, that was good. Um, yeah, as the, uh, he was working tech crew and he was in love with one of the other people there and was just using Liz as an excuse to get that other girl jealous. That was fantastic. Chloe Moretz. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, that's right. She was great. Everybody on the the live show. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. That's true. The live show is, is, was pretty, was pretty spectacular and really fun. And they were good at kind of doing those stunts while still remaining, you know, sort of maintaining their core that way. I think the, the, sorry, I just, I just remembered the, uh, <laughs> John Ham racism one. From the, <laughs> and it just, I had to have a moment there, but, um, the, I think besides that, which was just ridiculous, um, the, the moment I probably most enjoyed, uh, from the live show was when they brought in uh, Julie Louis Dreyfus, <laughs> which was just, you know, such a particular little, uh, little uh, fan. It was such a clear like geek out for Tina Fey that it made it even more awesome uh, on the show. Exactly. I mean, those like those live episodes. I think what's so great about it, they're they're all so good at doing that. And of course, they probably wouldn't have done it if they didn't have experience on Saturday Night Live doing that sort of thing. But also, it does it does allow for them to do even more of that kind of like heavy pop culture callback. Lots of different you know, references going on at once that you could, if you didn't get the reference, it's still funny, but if you do, it's even better. And they were so good at that. Yeah. Well, cause I'm not even that big a fan of the live episodes. I, most of them, I'm, you know, I really could, could give or take, you know, I, I don't really, they're not essential for me, but uh, I, I appreciate that, that they're interested in doing that. This is a show that actually exactly. you know, has some fun with it and has these throwbacks to, to live TV and sort of the, some of the roots of, of the American sitcom. I, I really, you know, appreciate that element of the show as well. 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's why I love that. Like you mentioned the race thing. That was the most sort of like amazing, egregious one of all of that. But they did, They, you know, even though I agree, it's they're not as memorable. The, the live episode isn't like one you think of and, you know, re- remember as a whole. But there, there's so much there's like the history of television in that episode, basically, if you look for it. <laughs> well, are there any uh, particular episodes that we, we want to throw out there? Um, well, I, I, I just recently watched the Seinfeld vision episode for obvious reasons. Um, and it, while it is not perfect, um, I liked it better upon reviewing, I will say that. Um, and you know, it, it's another one of those that kind of like really uses history, TV history, and kind of does all of this fun. Um, you know, it, it points at one of the great elements of this show too, which is the constant parody of NBC as a network. Um, there, you know, the fact that they were not doing so hot, uh, during the run of the show and being bought out by various cable outlets and whatnot, um, you know, it, it brought a lot of that stuff together and also called back to, you know, the, the network's headier days when they, when they had Seinfeld. John? Um, Yeah. Sticking with season two, uh, succession. I mean, we didn't Mm. mention Will, Will Arnett in the guest performances and he was fantastic. Uh, and just to see Liz Lemon be an executive for a little while mm. is great. Uh, Leap Day was the first 30 Rock episode, I think, that I saw. Um, so I would give props to that one because that one got me hooked. The uh, Yeah, I want to give a th- uh, shout-out to the finale because I, I, I don't know that I needed two finales, which is basically what they do. But finales are hard. And frankly, most finales are not good. Uh, or at best, they're, you know fine and i think that that this finale actually was really did, did a really good job of of centering on the the various relationships by allowing by allowing liz to say goodbye to the show in one episode then in the next episode we she you know we could say goodbye to the characters as individuals and um and i did you know by the time we get to um the the very end singing with uh jenna singing the rural juror and it actually you get kind of choked up it's like how am i getting <laughs> choked up these were the le- best years of our blurg <laughs> so clearly yeah. doing something right it's totally true i i had the exact same feeling when i was watching it it was kind of like you know i put it on and i just wasn't really thinking about even the fact that you know i wasn't making a big deal about it but then i i i also got choked up it was it was it was a very weird thing. And as we said, they didn't often do the emotional stuff um, on 30 Rock, but it worked in that case. You you felt good about how they left things. And like you said, I mean, finales are tough. So um, they, they did a pretty good job. Yeah. Well, there are a few other uh, favorite moments that I did want to mention. First of all, I can't believe we did. We've mentioned a lot of the various characters. We've said almost nothing about Kenneth who is delightful. Um, and uh, also, just a quick shout-out there for everybody's favorite uh, dummy, Dennis Duffy, Dean Winters. And oh, I love him. Of course, Matt Damon oh uh, was very delightful. But I'd actually like to talk briefly about um, the, the one of the disappointments I have with the show, which is I'm still waiting for somebody to find a way to take advantage of the comedic goldmine that should be Rachel Dratch. Mm. And they 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 went a different way with that in the first season, having her you know constantly play different characters, and it didn't work. 
but I was always disappointed that they didn't find a way to bring her back in because I really, I really enjoyed her on SNL and I think she's very talented, but nobody's really, you know, like Maya Rudolph is another person who I very much appreciate her comedic uh, sensibility and also her talent. She's hugely talented, uh, but they, we haven't found the right vehicle for her and we found even less of an opportunity to see Rachel Dratch do her thing. Any thoughts on why that didn't quite come together? Yeah, I mean, I my guess is that it is a little bit of those like backstage dramatics to some extent. I just wonder how, if it was just too awkward, you know, she was supposed to play Jenna's character and then they, she kind of got demoted by the network. And I think they've talked about the fact that, you know, at least part of it was they kind of wanted a more attractive person. And I just wonder, and you know, her and Tina are friends and that could not have been easy. And I just wonder if it was just too weird at some point, you know, to, to have, that going on but i totally agree i would love to see her doing something let's get her and maya rudolph on a sitcom like yesterday please uh, any other uh final moments one of my all-time favorite game shows has to be a uh, homonym and then celebrity homonym, celebrity homonym. I, <laughs> with uh was it au pair <laughs> look a fruit uh <laughs> do we have any other favorite bits we want to mention i i really like positive like really two of my favorite episodes of all time period probably the two biggest for me i love the oprah episode amazing because it's so crazy i mean it's not i was obviously like i love oprah as much as anyone and that's part of what's hilarious about that whole thing is like the way women just have this crazy reaction to oprah like i still talk i still say like sweater capes calypso music um like those are the things that oprah, that the fake oprah told told her we're gonna be big so she like does all of them um, that one's so crazy. And the girl who plays the the person that she thought was Oprah, but she was on drugs, um, is really fantastic. And I also really love the episode where Liz is supposed to get her own show called Deal Breakers. And it just completely goes off the rails. But one of the best things is this tiny bit they do within that where she's shooting her promo and it's going disastrously. But they do this thing where people walk in front of the camera and like when when Alec Baldwin walks in front of the when she walks in front of the camera, she looks horrific because it's HD. Um, when he looks and walks in front of the camera, he looks like young Alec Baldwin. And when Kenneth walks in front of the camera, he looks like a Muppet. And that's just one <laughs> of my favorite. And then like there's no more comment. That's it. Um, it's one of my favorite gags on the show. Well, of course, because Kenneth's immortal. Exactly. <laughs> Good stuff. Uh, Sean, any other uh, favorite gags or moments you wanted to mention? Oh, man, so many. Um, in that Steve Martin episode, the the Tracy sex doll <laughs> that he buys because he's worried his kids are going to kill him, that whole storyline was fantastic. Um, I don't think I've ever seen Chris Parnell do like a bad recurring role, mm -hmm. but his role on this show – Espa Chemin, I think, was fantastic. Um, so I'd point to those. We talk about all these different supporting characters. I really think uh, with Grizz and .com, they, those could have been nothing characters, and they really developed them and made them far more uh, nuanced and interesting. And they, they gave the, those are characters that existed when they were off screen. And I don't know if all the other characters did, but I felt like those two did. And that's, you know, the attention, even if that's from the writers or from the actors 
to to what could be two nothing characters basically there to counter Tracy's insanity uh, really shows you the the appreciation that the show has for for all the various parts it had going on. So true. I think uh, you totally nailed it too. I love the like. It's you're right. They have a, they had inner lives, right? Grizzen.com. Like you could imagine them going home and like having a whole thing, whereas the others you didn't. You weren't sure they had any actual thoughts in their head. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, uh, yeah, Tra- uh, Jenna. I'm pretty sure she just. <laughs> She just like sleeps in her uh, her her dressing room like like a bat or exactly. something like hanging off the ceiling. But uh, but yes, it's Thirty Rock. I mean, I didn't always love the show. There are times certain you know with seven seasons, you're gonna have ups and downs. That's just yeah. natural for a show with twenty two episodes a season uh, most of the time. But uh, but but on the whole, I think it was very consistent. It ended well. It had some of its best seasons actually at the end. There was a, like a renewed creative energy to the show that was great to see in those last uh, couple seasons. And uh, I, it's it's one that I I was very happy to revisit and spend a little bit more time in that crazy world. <laughs> um, well, Jennifer, thank you so much for coming on to talk Thirty Rock with us. Where can our listeners find you and your work online? Uh, JenniferKArmstrong.com. You can get everything you could possibly want so much more about me there (laughs) (laughs) well thank you again so much jennifer for coming on thank you everyone for listening we'll be back next week with another episode of the televerse thanks guys 